Hello, and welcome to Tech in Maine Presents. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech in Maine Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Stanton Gatewood, the Cyber Sherpa. He is a cybersecurity and information technology leader with 30 plus years of experience in the public and private sector. Stanton, say hello to the Tech in Maine Presents audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Well, Stanton, I have a feeling we are going to have a ball with the time that we have together. And so without any further ado, why don't you share your background with our audience? Wow. Okay. You were very close as far as the number of years that I've been doing this. That is to say, doing cybersecurity and information security and privacy and teaching and all this stuff, all the fun that I've been having. But the actual number is somewhere around 44 years. I didn't wake up this morning feeling kind of old, but I feel kind of old now when I throw that number out at you. <laughs> but um, I've, I've been doing this for about 40, 44 years or so. I've, I've had the great pleasure and I've had the fun to have worked in the way, way back in 1976. I worked in the U.S. Air Force. I was a flight engineer on C-141 aircraft. I also was the crypto officer when we went into communicating, that is to say, airborne communications. I also was a, a military instructor. I was a master instructor, master technical instructor to be exact. So I've got some time in the military. And, and oftentimes you hear people say when they're in the military, they also have federal background, which is absolutely true. I had fun flying jets around the world. After I left the, the military and had the promise of, of a company that just basically came in and, and, and swept everybody that was getting out of the military at the same time, they swept us away to a little teeny telephone company. Perhaps you've heard of them before, AT&T. I worked for AT&T in, in uh, northern New Jersey, Basking Ridge and Whippany, New Jersey, and, and also in New Brunswick, New Jersey. With AT&T, I worked with uh, researchers, and I did what is known as cyber investigations for AT&T. It was a fun job, and I had global responsibilities. I also worked with a company that was wholly owned by AT&T called Wegsco. That's the Western Electric Group uh, Services Company. We did such things as execute some of their contracts and projects and things like that. So coming out of AT&T, I went to Learning Tree International. Actually, it was with them uh, even before I left AT&T. Learning Tree International is a company that does professional training, professional training services. I train folks as far as leaders, engineers, analysts, risk managers, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was fun. And it is at that time I joined together what I had learned in the military as a master instructor. That is to say, the great art of teaching. And I, I want to emphasize this real quick here, that there are teachers and there are communicators. Okay? I'm actually a communicator that happens to know a few things about some of the technology and cybersecurity. And it, it's often said, I love this cliche, I love these words, that a teacher makes something easy, difficult, and a very drilled down, where a communicator takes something that's very difficult and makes it easy. And oftentimes I hear the people asking the question, who do you want to teach your people, a communicator or a true teacher? I have total respect for both of them. I have total respect for both. After I left uh, Learning Tree, I went to uh, on the West Coast or the left coast, as you would call it. I went to the University of Southern California, where I was the first CISO and first electronic privacy officer for the University of Southern California. Recruited heavily, recruited heavily, and I, I moved from USC out to the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. Go Bulldogs! 
The bottom line about it is I was there for a CISO as well as their privacy officer out there. Once I left the UGA, I was promoted to what is known as the university system of Georgia. Uh, the university system encompasses or includes all colleges and universities around the state of Georgia. And at that time, there was well into the numbers of 20 and 30 college universities, ranging anywhere from, oh, I, I would say two-year institutions all the way up into, of course, institutions that confer degrees at the doctoral level. I left the university system of Georgia, and I went with uh, Dell SecureWorks. I was tasked with building what is known as the SecureWorks University, and that is my first taste and feel for what is a very, very important segment, a growing segment in cybersecurity. It's called workforce development. I was tasked with the responsibility to teach internal uh, Dell SecureWorks analysts, architects, engineers, and so on and so forth. Build the SecureWorks University was my order of the day, and um, pretty successful with that. I enjoyed that. After I left Dell SecureWorks, I went to the state of Georgia. I climbed to the state of Georgia, and um, that is to say, in charge of or the leader for cybersecurity for the entire state, and it's over 100 plus agencies as well. That was a challenge. That was a great challenge. I enjoyed it, though. I've come a long way, and I was very pleased with my career there. Way back in 2010, I also met a gentleman by the name of Dr. Larry Poneman. He, at the time, and uh, we were on the speaker circuit, running around the world, uh, specifically in the U.S., teaching and talking about cybersecurity. We became very close because we were at several very large conferences, and um, we decided that uh, we, should, we should probably work together. So I was asked to join the Panaman Institute as a distinguished fellow and researcher. Perhaps you would remember Larry Poneman from the name of his uh, company called Panaman Institute, and perhaps you would even remember it even more from the annual product called the Cost of Data Breach Analysis Report. That is to say, the Panaman Institute creates this report on an annual basis to let you know how much does it cost to actually lose or be breached and have lost uh, a record. A oh, absolutely record. aware of the Panaman Institute. Yes, sir. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool. That's where I actually work today. I work with uh, Larry Poneman and the Poneman Institute, and there's a tremendous amount of researchers and distinguished fellows that he has brought on board. In a nutshell, that's what I've done. So I've, I've covered the federal government and the military and the public sector and the private sector and teaching and learning and listening and just having a fun time doing cybersecurity. Stanton, thank you so much for sharing that background. You are definitely very accomplished, and I wouldn't even tag that to age as much as just the varied experience and background that you have. Um, I think that's phenomenal. And so in light of that, what has you most excited about your current work? Oftentimes, and I've listened to some of the, uh, uh, the recordings and, the, and I've read some of the transcripts that they've written down from some of the interviews that I've done over time, you'll often hear me say, I love cybersecurity and electronic privacy and things like that. And I get excited quite often, but I'll use this word for this interview. I'm passionate about information security and electronic privacy. I'm passionate about awareness training and education. I'm passionate about workforce development. And what I'm doing today, I don't work for the state anymore. I, I retired in March of 2019. What I'm doing today that's got me the most excited and really bubbling my passion up is I do C-level advisory work. And that is to say any C-level, CFO, CIO, CISO, CSO, and, a few, and a name, just to name a few. 
I also do cybersecurity uh, consulting and coaching. And I think it's very important to give back. I think that if you were blessed and that you have 30 or 40 years in doing something and was very successful at doing it and, and you're passionate about it, I think you should give back. It was a very rewarding career. I don't think you'll ever find me on a talk show talking bad about information security or talking bad about my employers and things like that of the past. It's been fun. So it's now it's my turn. It's my time to give back. So I do a lot of teaching. I do, I do a lot of awareness. I do a lot of training, consulting, and advising and things like that. So that's got me the most passionate. And here lately, I've been doing a lot of workforce development because you know, and I know, that uh, folks like myself, after, after a certain number of years and when they feel like they're moved to do this, they'll retire and they'll, they'll be done and they'll, they'll sit back for a while. I think that once a person leaves a position, especially in cybersecurity, engineering, architecture, and so on and so forth, in order to fill those shoes, you've got to have somebody that's qualified and passionate as well. So I'm beating the drum and, and trying to get the next generation of cyber uh, security professionals ready to fill these seats and to fill these shoes and things like that. You cannot expect, you cannot expect everybody to be this passionate, or you can't expect everybody to have the same awareness and training and education and experience. But it, it, you can expect someone that has been rewarded and have had a great career like this to give back and to start the, uh, getting the next generation ready to sit in this seat. I'm just taking all of this in and I'm really thankful to be connected to you and to know someone that is so passionate about the cyber ecosystem. And thank you for what you're willing to do to get the next generation, the folks that are coming behind you, prepared and ready for the work that they're going to be engaged in. No problem. Love it. Stanton, why don't we segue into getting your thoughts on what is the biggest security challenge you're seeing out there in the wild today? You know, as I, as I listen to you ask me some of these questions, interview me, and things like that. I, I, my mind goes back to, I remember when. I remember when it was called information assurance. I remember when it was called communication security, operation security. I remember when all those things were combined and they created information security. And now here today in 2020, here in 2020, we're calling it cyber security, cyber security. You asked the question of, of the challenge that I have faced in the past or the challenge that I'm facing today. It's super important that uh, when you have positions of authority and when you climb up the ladder as far as this whole, as you said, ecosystem is, it's important that you try your best to keep things fresh and relevant. That is to say, cybersecurity, keep it fresh and relevant. So that's, that's a challenge because there's still a group of people, there's still a number of people, or there's a number uh, in the sector that are still very apathetic, that is to say, quiet about cybersecurity, and really don't give cybersecurity any real attention, any real thoughts, words, or deeds as far as resources and things like that until something happens. Here, here, sir. Here, here. Yeah, so it, it, to me, you've got to. You've got to think about security keep it fresh, keep it relevant, keep it on the forefront often and soon as you possibly can. Because you know, I, I'll tell you this much, having done the 40 plus years in cybersecurity, you don't want to be woken up by the enemy. You don't want something to happen because it's going to happen at the worst time. Everybody's on vacation. It's two o'clock in the morning. Uh, your program is already weak. 
you have no funding, you have no resources in qualified individuals, you have no technology to help you, your policies are not even, are non-existent. That's not when you want to have a cyber incident, whether it be small, medium, or large cyber incident. You don't want to have it then. So I've got to, I've got to preach about this. And yes, I don't mind being called a cyber evangelist, or I don't mind being called a cyber Sherpa, or I don't mind being called a shokonin or a craftsman as far as cybersecurity is concerned, because it's, it's something that I do feel very passionate about, and we've got to continue to beat the drum for cybersecurity now, not later, okay? Another passion that I have or another challenge that I have is if you ever get an opportunity to take a look at the cyber workforce gap, if you really take a look at that, you will find that at this point in time, we have more people leaving cybersecurity than you can shake a stick at. And you'll find that more of us that have been there at the very beginning of cybersecurity, information assurance and infosec, you'll find that now we are retiring. And some of us, we don't want to retire and, and maybe we'll take on other responsibilities and things like that, but we are retiring and therefore leaving some of these seats empty. And so what's going to happen is people are going to plug folks into these slots, put these people in the roles that are not ready for prime time. And what I mean by that is, oh, yes, this person that I'm going to put in this role has a degree in this. Do they have the knowledge, the skills, and the abilities? Oh, yes. Do they have the experience? No, not really. Do they have the license? Do they have the certificates of completion? No, not really. That is going to be very difficult. And you're really setting yourself up for that cyber incident, and you'll really find out exactly what's going to happen with somebody that's inexperienced or not seasoned and things like that. That's one of my challenges and passions is to teach as many as I possibly can, help them get into positions where they can grow, not just grow physically, but grow mentally as well, and psychologically and passionately about cybersecurity. It's very important for us to, to address that even right now. Also. One of my other challenges is this. We as humans, we as a technological society, our adoption of technology is just blinding. We are willing to do such things as put all of our information on a smartphone. We are willing to carry around an iPad or carry around a tablet with all sorts of the keys to the kingdom. We are willing to adopt artificial intelligence like it's just second nature for us. We are willing to work alongside a robot before we can work alongside or understand how to work alongside an individual even. We are adopting technology without, without thinking about the whole protection, the whole security, and the relevant use of this technology. That is a super challenge. We have smart cities. We have smart watches. We have smart devices, and all of these things are connecting to the largest network in the world. And oh, by the way, there is but one network in the world, and that's the internet, okay? And that is the internet. And I'm here to tell you that if I don't care where you plug in at, there's technology and there's somebody out there that's willing to, 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 to find you, to see you, to, and, and to do bad things to you. So we've got to actually step back for a second and say, as soon as some of this technology is adopted, as soon as it's actually thought of, as soon as it's, uh, while it's in its, its infancy, we really need to get in there and start thinking about how to protect and defend it. 
not just the technology, but protect and defend, of course, information and information systems. So those are just some of the things that I can spend an entire hour on machine learning, artificial intelligence. One of my degrees is in AI and robotics and artificial intelligence. I'm here to tell you, uh, we have just, we've just embraced this technology without giving some thought to how are we going to protect it and how are we going to protect the information that is entrusted to us that's coursing through the internet and this new technology. In light of the challenges that you just shared with us, give our audience a strategy to help overcome some of those issues. It's not as difficult as you think it is. A lot of people go, oh, oh, you just spoke about AI and machine learning and algorithms. And, and I'm sure they use a science that they have to go to Pluto and bring somebody back to figure this all out. Don't look at it that way. Don't take on the defeatist attitude immediately. What you need to take on is to back up, back up and go to your roots, your cybersecurity base. Go to that. That is the protection of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And today, in 2020, and I'm glad that you've given me the opportunity to speak to so many folks, your audience, about this. Today, we need to also start weaving or shoehorning or putting in the gap this, awareness, preparedness, and resilience. So take the whole CIA triad, take the whole layers of defense or defense in depth and things like that. Take that and now insert awareness and preparedness as well as resilience. Now, just real quick, real quick, I'm not going to spend a course on this or teaching a course on this, but I will say this. Awareness can be broken down into two very distinct pieces, at least two, and that is situational awareness and user awareness. Pay attention to those things. Situational awareness. Use some of the technologies and the technology that was created by some of these vendors out there in the world today for situational awareness. What that is to say, and go back to your military thinking here, situational awareness says that you must know what's around you. You must know what you have connected to the internet. You must know the business in which you're in. You must understand where your data is. You must understand what level of understanding and awareness that your users have. You must understand laws and regulations. You must understand codes and technology. You must understand those things because you don't want to be snuck up on. You don't want that to happen. So how do you do that? It's impossible for a CISO by herself or by himself to know all this. So they need to plan on how to use these resources that allow you to do such things as, again, situational awareness. That is 24 by 7. That is 365 monitoring. Monitoring not only our systems, but monitoring our data and monitoring our people. Now, there will be some folks out there that will say, I don't want to be monitored. I understand that. I understand that. But if you are dealing with information and information systems and information is coursing throughout the wires and wirelessly around the internet itself, you have to pay attention to privacy. You have to pay attention to these things. So let's go back to awareness one more time. The next piece of awareness is user awareness. Folks, you can spend a bazillion dollars. Now, I just gave you a brand new level in our monetary system there, a bazillion. That's somewhere north of a billion. I don't know what it is. But if you've ever had an opportunity to read the Panaman uh, book on cost of data breach, and you finally sit down and you say, one record equals this amount of money. 
that you need to spend to recover, to recoup, to be resilient, to stand back up again, you will be totally shocked. But what I mean to say essentially is this, you've got to invest in user awareness. And user awareness itself means send these people to awareness training and education. Teach them. Uh, Start an awareness campaign. Put flyers and posters up and things like that. But the bottom line about it is, again, user awareness is probably the least costly protection and defense that you'll stand up. Compared to some of our, I'll go back in technology, compared to firewalls, compared to intrusion prevention, compared to some of our AI, compared to some of the compared to losing a single record at $100 and $200 a record. Now, think about that figure I just threw at you, $100 to $200 per record. There's something that's much more precise than the cost of data breach analysis report as far as down to the dollar figure itself. Think about this, though. You don't lose one record. How many, what's the last time you heard somebody say, oh, one big credit card company, they lost one record. That's $100 to 200 bucks out the window. We lose 10,000, we lose 100,000, we lose a million. We have gotten to a, play, a point now in time where we have such big data breaches and now we have come, become complacent with it. We have become numb with it. I'm not shocked anymore when I turn on the radio or I stream the news or look at the TV and I hear about a million records were lost, a million records uh, were, were taken. I'm not shocked to hear somebody's holding uh, millions of records ransom. I'm not shocked anymore. And that's because it's happened too much too frequently at a dollar to two dollars, excuse me, at a hundred to two hundred dollars per record. Okay. Now let's go on to the next piece of this whole brand new concept or this whole brand new, should I say, refresh of the CIA triad preparedness. You must be prepared. Take the information that you gather from your situational awareness and be prepared. Be ready to defend, be ready to protect your information and your people as well. You've got to. Why? Because they're coming. People will continue to be the weakest link in the chain, and people will continue to exploit vulnerabilities. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. So you must be prepared for any eventuality. You must test your incident response plans. You must test your your disaster recovery plans, your business continuity plans, your resumption of business plans. You must test those things and be prepared. Be prepared for a time that you'll be woken at two o'clock in the morning and you need to get settled. You need to deploy. You need to gather information. You need to get back on your feet and get back in business. One thing that we had a tremendous amount of challenge with when we came up with the actual dollar figures on the cost of data breach analysis report How much is it going to cost as far as you're losing your reputation? I can't fix a dollar figure on that. I really can't. I want to move to the last piece of this new, I wouldn't say new, but but I should say introducing something that is, is new, and that is resilience. Chances are, and the numbers are against you, chances are you will be attacked. You will be breached. Information will be leaked. Bad things happen to good people. That's just the way it is. You've got to be aware, you've got to be resilient, and you've got to be prepared. I put that in a different order there. Let me put it back in order. Awareness, preparedness, and resilience. Resilience means that you will be hit, and you'll be hit hard. Do you remember an interview many years ago with one of the greatest heavyweight champions of the world? He was a knockout artist. His name was, what's his name? Mike Tyson. There you go. 
what did he say? Now that man, you couldn't find a man that trained any more than any harder than he. And you couldn't find a man that could hit <laughs> any harder than Mike. And you are so true. He'll tell you real quick, and I've heard him say it most recently even. All your plans are out the window when I punch you in your face. Think about it. You're not prepared for, for a cyber attack. You're not prepared for ransom. You're not prepared for these things. And then all of a sudden, pow, right in the kisser. Wow. Wow. And all your plans go out the window. Nothing seems to work. You don't know what to do. You're now waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You don't have the money. You don't have the people. You don't have the resource. Prepare yourself today, folks. Prepare for awareness, preparedness, and resilience. Those are what I call the strategic pinnacles or the strategic target or the strategic point that I want to get to. I want to get to a point where people are doing something ahead of time and waiting for it to happen. I want them to also know that they will be hit, but they must be strong enough to get back up again and get back up in business as fast as you possibly can to build back the credibility that you should have already and, and people having a good feeling that they, their information is in your hands and you're taking care of it as best you possibly can. My last thing as far as uh, strategy is concerned is this. Folks, you folks that have your finger on the button as far as the budgets are concerned, folks, you folks that hire CISOs and CIOs as well as uh, CSOs and security officers and all these people, Treat them with respect and hire the right people. Hire the people that have the KSAs, the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, and experience, and the licenses, and all those other things. Do your best in doing that kind of thing. Folks, if you're in leadership and you're running a company or you're a board member, whatever it is, elevate this position. I'm not saying elevate it beyond where it is right now, but I say elevate it as far as your thinking and concern and doing what? Serving and supporting and helping. You've got to do that. Give them the authority they need to have. Give them the money they need to have. Give them the time and the respect they need to have. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. Pay me now or pay me later. Think about that. But if you choose to pay later, the price is always greater. You will pay later. And again, don't forget. Do not forget that unknown unknown. Wow. I'm stealing a phrase from, uh, I forget his name now, but this, he talks about the unknown unknown. The bottom line about it is that data that's stolen, that data that is lost, the data that is misplaced, the data that is held in ransom and things like that, that's a lot of money sitting there. And not only that, your reputation is out there. What I have with that, the problem I have with that having been in state government and local government and really in federal government, some of our citizens in, in this great country some of the citizens around the world don't have choices as far as going to services that are actually ran by us, ran by the state, ran by the federal government and things like that, ran by those people who have budgets that <laughs> their coffee budget exceeds their technology budget, their paper and supply budget exceeds their cybersecurity budget. That makes no sense to me. But yet, you point them towards your services at the state level. You point them towards your services at the federal level. They have no other choice. They must use your services. Or they'll come into the office and stand in, you know, two or three hour lines. But the bottom line about it is help these people. If you have the authority and you have the, your finger on the button as far as budget and respect and praise and elevate them to the proper level, do it. I couldn't agree more. Stanton, we're going to jump around to a few different places. So um, just go with me. 
as we touch on these things. You segued a little bit into a role play situation, but I definitely want to hit on and have you expound upon what would you say to a colleague or a fellow CISO or a fellow business leader who feels that they can't afford a CIO or a CISO? What, what are you saying to that person? Pay me now or pay me later. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. I, I, I have been privileged to have been sitting at the table for many, many years and watching budget budgets being moved around and figures being thrown around and things like that at budget hearings. As a matter of fact, I've, I've been at the table trying to get money for cybersecurity for, for well over 30 years. I see the money that you're getting. And a lot of you will say that it's not enough. It's not enough to, to run infrastructure. It's not enough to run technology. It's not enough to, to stay up. It's not enough to even keep the lights on sometime. But yet, you make it somehow. But yet, email is always ready and running. But yet, uh, texting, your websites and things like that are always up and running. Always. I'm saying right now, pay me now or pay me later. And what I mean by that is this. A small percentage of your IT budget needs to be given to cybersecurity. A small percentage of your, your staffing and your man and woman power needs to be given to cybersecurity. The bottom line about it is, again, you don't want to. I'm telling you right now, you don't want to get caught unaware. You don't want to get caught not ready. You don't want to get caught blindly. So pay me now or pay me later. So again, if we can make it with the IT budget, and you seem to have, for years and years now, placed the CISOs and the CI, uh, uh, CSOs and the ISOs, you place them in technology. Have you noticed that? Not everybody reports to the CIO, but a lot of us do. A lot of us have in the past. Great women, great men that are CIOs, nothing wrong with what they're doing. They're under a whole lot of pressure, a whole lot of pressure to keep everything running. And over here in the corner, we're crying and screaming, help us. We don't have enough resources to make things secure. However, when things break or fall apart, the first thing you do is look at security and say, what happened? You didn't do this. You didn't do enough. And the first thing I bring up is a piece of paper that basically says this. I asked you for this amount of money. I asked you for this amount of respect. I asked you to place me at this level. I asked you to listen to me a number of times throughout the year. And yet you did not respond. Pay me now or pay me later. Well said, Stanton. And so I want to jump to another thought that you prompted me on. Let's talk to the small business owner. They've got four or five people that work in the office. Um, They've got some databases with customer information and they feel that they will never receive a ransomware attack. But let's say at nine o'clock this morning, the CEO of that company wakes up and they've been hit with ransomware. They reach out to you. What are you telling that business owner in that situation? What do you have in place for the following statement that you're going to give the person that's holding your data ransom. What do you have in place? What can we do with what you have? And what are you willing to spend right now going forward? Because I'm going to advise you not to pay that ransom. That's what I'm going to say. And a lot of you say, well, I can't. Oh, my God, I, I, I could not possibly afford this ransom. I'm telling you, if you pay a ransom, and this is where I'm going with this, if you pay a ransom, chances are 
they may not release your data still. If you pay a ransom, chances are they'll come back again. That's right. You were hit once, but they'll probably hit you again because they probably found something. They've probably found a backdoor. They probably found a vulnerability that they're going to exploit time and time and time again. So my question to you, when you make the call to me is this, what do you have in place? Because we're about to tell this person, no, I'm not gonna pay that ransom. Now, if you say to me, we have nothing in place, we have no process and procedures, we have no policies, we have no technology, we have no people, we have no awareness whatsoever, we have nothing in place, I'm gonna go out of business if I pay it, and I'm here to tell you, you're gonna go out of business if you don't pay it. Be prepared, long time ahead of time before it does take place. Practice, test, run scripts on this ransomware type of attack. Figure out what you're going to do ahead of time. Don't get caught like this. If you do get caught, it's time to spend some money. Or the saddest thing, it's time for you to think, what's your next great adventure? What are you going to do as your next business? Because chances are they're not going to just give it back to you. I hate to be the voice of doom when it comes to those kind of things. But having the experience in this, one of the things that, that at one of my, my uh, employers, we have a standing order. And the standing order is if it's ransomware, we're not going to pay. We're not going to pay the ransom. That's pretty tough. That's pretty difficult. But if you get into that, that habit of paying a ransom, like chances are they will not give you back your stuff. And chances are they'll be back again. Let's think back to when we were children, right? And there was a, a neighborhood bully or a school bully or just someone that was known as that type of person. What did our parents, what did our teachers say we should do? You stand up to them. And so all you're doing is reiterating the very things that we've been told since childhood. And Mm -hmm. when you agree to pay that ransom, it's no different than when you stood down from the bully. They just kept picking at you, right? But it was only when you stood up to them and said, okay, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Today's the last day that things actually changed. So I echo your sentiments. I do want to ask another question. What are your thoughts on GDPR and CCPA? Okay, so we're talking privacy here, folks. We're going to shift gears just a little bit. And yes, I did say that. Shift gears. Privacy is not security. Understand that. Understand that you can have security and not privacy. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of you out there right now that have decent cybersecurity processes and technology and people and awareness in place, but you don't have any privacy protection or defense in place. And so the question is, what do I think about it? I think that build your cybersecurity strong, build your foundation, follow CIA triad and and do all you can possibly do to make your cybersecurity strong. Then, then I want you to start your journey down the privacy path. I want you to start thinking about the privacy of uh, internal data, external data, and, and, and personal data and things like that. Keeping in mind that most of the things you're going to do to protect privacy are going to come from or straight out of security. I think that is absolutely, absolutely necessary to have GDPR. I think it's absolutely necessary to have the California Privacy uh, Rules and Act in place. Absolutely. Because it is an attack vector. Go after this kind of information. And, and, and have ransom, uh, set a ransom on that's on this information, bring these companies to their knees. Earlier in the podcast, Stanton, you mentioned the Japanese word shokunin. 
And I wanted you to expound on that a little bit as far as the phrase shokunin shitsu. Tell our audience what that means and how that applies to you. Shokunin means craftsman. And what that essentially translates into, or let me expound upon that, I follow process and procedures. Processes are your friend. Procedures are your friend. Policies, standards, guidelines, task lists, whatever you want to call it, you follow that path. No matter if you wake me up at that two o'clock in the morning at that magic hour that we've been talking about since this podcast started, it doesn't matter because I'm going to do the same thing over and over again. As a matter of fact, out of all the, all the jobs and all the roles and all of the employment that I've had in the cybersecurity, I've built every one of the cybersecurity programs the same way, with the same foundation, with the same tenets, with the same principles, over and over and over again, like a true craftsman would do. And what I mean by that is every one of the programs, and I've, and I've been blessed, I've been blessed in that two of the jobs that I've had, two of the roles that I have, I have had, I've had centers of excellence designation bestowed upon me, one by NSA and one by the private sector. No matter what program I'm building, whether it be small, medium, large, or global, I keep the same domains at the forefront. That is to say, I build programs that have what is known as strategic management or strategic planning, policy and compliance, governance management, risk management, incident management disaster recovery, business continuity, uh, cyber resilience, security awareness, training and education. Every one of the programs that I build, like a craftsman, I start out with the same foundation, the same dedication to it, the same emphasis on it. Some of the programs that I built, I've been very fortunate that I've had tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And yes, I've even had in my budget and during my career uh, once or twice, almost a million dollars but I built the programs the same way. I kept the CIA triad in my mind. I kept those tenants and those principles and those domains I just spoke about always in my mind. I build the programs no matter if you give me little resources or you give me a tremendous amount of resources, I build them the same way. And that is a true craftsman. That shokunin. Obviously, Stanton, shokunin is not an English word. Tell us a little bit about the history of the word, where you picked it up first. Was it something that you learned in your professional life? Or just give us a little more on that. Okay. So I was in the U.S. military for uh, some years in the Air Force, and I was stationed in, uh, in Japan, specifically in uh, Okinawa at the Kadena Air Base. And uh, whenever I went to a country, I tried my best to get out and immerse myself into, their, into the country, immerse myself into the culture and things like that. So it is there that I picked up craftsmen. And what I mean by that is uh, picked up the shokunin concept and principle. I watched people that served food. And I noticed in the kitchen, I noticed in the dining room, I noticed at the counter, everybody did the same thing. Should I say the steps in the process to get to the end result. They cut the fish a certain way. They created the rice a certain way. No matter if you woke them up in the morning or you did it late at night, they did it the same way. So then I also, like most folks, uh, I went through a period of time where I was super engrossed and, and involved in martial arts. And it was in Japan. It was in Japan, as a matter of fact. And I watched a true craftsman in martial arts 
he taught us martial arts, but one thing he did, he would show you his number one student and he would show you where the number one student started, whether they were athletically inclined, they were physically fit, they were mentally strong or whatever. He started everybody at the same place and he built you. He built you up to your black belt. So that's where I learned it. I started it, I started using it back then. Now, fast forward to the University of Georgia, somewhere around, I'd say 2005, a black belt. Yes, in process improvement. Yes, yes. A black belt in process improvement. It caught my eye. I went through the classes at Athens Tech College. I received my black belt in process improvement. Why? Because it taught me how to break down a task, how to break down or how to approach a project or how to do my work, how to get to that level of having a very uh, effective uh, cybersecurity program. It taught me how to break everything down into pieces and parts, how to drive out errors, drive out deviation, drive out waste, fill it in with things that make things much more effective and much more efficient. So that's how I built my programs, using my black belt in process improvement and using what I learned in uh, Kadena Air Base, Okinawa, Japan. It does not fail me. It does not fail me. Regardless of what program that I'm building, or regardless of the size, it does not fail me. Every one of them, may, you may think to yourself, well, if you've got more money, why not just go out there and spend all of it? Yes, but you've got to have the foundations built properly. I listen to some of these people now and I hear, hear them say things like, I spent a half a million dollars on uh, monitoring systems and, and uh, intrusion prevention and uh, artificial intelligence and uh, monitoring and all these different things. And yet I come in and see your program and it reminds me of a story I heard many years ago about <laughs> you have just put a tin roof on a house of cards. Tin roofs last what, 50 years, 100 years? I don't know positively, but I do know that if you have a tin roof on a house that's built from cards, you're destined for doom, and the tin roof is not going to help you. Truer words have never been spoken, Stanton. Truer words have never been spoken. And so thank you so much for um, diving into that. I, I definitely wanted our audience to um, get a feel and get an understanding of you as a practitioner and your thought and methodology behind that. And so let's, let's pivot into some questions that are a little more personal and a little more specific. Tell our audience about your favorite musician or band. Wow. Some of you out there are calculating and doing the mathematics right now. You're saying things like, okay, he probably started working at 18, 19, or 20 years old. He says he's been in this for 40 years. So I'm now doing the numbers. And that means he's somewhere around 60 something. Yeah, I am. I am. So when it comes to music, when it comes to bands, and when it comes to eras, I go back to, wow, I go back to some of the Led Zeppelins. I go back to the Jimi Hendrix. I go back to the days of, of uh, rhythm and blues. And I go back to rock and roll. Those are the, uh, the era that I really enjoyed, the 70s, and then the late 60s and things like that. But there's some very stunning artists these days that I, I love listening to because I close my eyes when I hear them play. And I close my eyes when, I, when they sing their songs or they play their instrument or whatever. I'm an Andre Bocelli fan. Love to listen to this man. This man puts me at peace. He truly is Shokonin in that his craft, he is an artist beyond artist, a craftsman beyond craftsman. Now, let me take it to an extreme. 
oh gosh, what is his name? He Help me out here. Help me out here, please, Sean. He sings about Tennessee whiskey. I can see his face. Your audience is probably saying things like, I know it's, it's whoever it is, but right. I, I love listening to him. I love listening. What is his name? Is it, is it Shelton? Let's, I think let's. it's Shelton. I think it is. But the bottom line about it is I love listening to him. I mean, have you heard his voice go all the way up and down as far as the octaves are concerned? Blake Shelton? Blake Shelton. There you go. Excellent. Talking about Tennessee whiskey. And, and, and oh, my goodness. I can't wait to one day go to one of his concerts and just hear him live. But I love him, too. There are songstress out there. There are women that I have listened to all of my life that cannot be touched. We lost one of them, as a matter of fact, a couple of years back, Aretha Franklin. I love listening to her. I love listening to some of the old gospel singing. I remember staying with my grandmother for a while, and every Sunday morning she would crank the radio up. She didn't have streaming, but she would turn on a record or crank up the radio, and we'd listen to, listen to gospel music, the Franklins and the the uh, uh, Shirley Caesars and, and all of these great singers of gospel music. So yeah, I go all the way up and down the, the uh, over left and right of the horizon there. I love listening to rock and roll and rhythm and blues and, and um, classical music, gospel music and all that. But I, I, I think the music that touches me the most is, is the music where you close your eyes and you can be taken somewhere or you, could, you have a feeling from. That's, that means a lot to me. Okay, well, Stanton, that that music background is as varied as your professional background. So, um, yeah, not not too surprising at all. How about a favorite sports team? I was born and raised on the East Coast. I've traveled the world, thank the Lord. But my heart, when it comes to sports, I favor the East Coast team, usually out of Philadelphia or New York, because I was in, born and raised in New Jersey. So the the Flyers, the Phillies, the Eagles. I love the uh, the Yankees. I love that. I love those sports out there. So when it comes now, whoa, now, when you expand out to college football, I'm a big fan of the uh, Air Force or the military academies when it comes to sports. They do more with what they have than I think any program out there. There are some very big linemen and some very tall basketball players in the, in the military academy, but you don't have the LeBron James, you don't have the 300-pound <laughs> offensive tackle in the military academy. Why? Because the military academy has physical requirements. And it's kind of hard to put a 300-pound woman or man in a flight suit and put them in the back of a fighter plane. So they have to make do with 150, 200-pound, 200 250-pound performers or athletes. And they do so, they do just fantastic work with those individuals. So I love watching the, the military academies and sports too. Great. And so you kind of segued into um, the fact that you have had a chance to travel quite a bit. What would you say is your favorite vacation spot? Any vacation spot that gets me near the water or puts me somewhere in the mountains or allows me to see something just brand spanking new, old cultures. I love old cities, old towns. Like whenever my wife and I get a chance, we go to um, Hong Kong, we go to Europe. We go to the North Africa, or we go down to the ancient cities of, of Mexico. And uh, I've taught and I've been down to uh, Brazil for a number of years. But any place that allows me to see something new and shows me a civilization and a culture that is older than, than me and older than 
my civilization or my, excuse me, my culture and things like that. That's phenomenal to me. I love to dip my feet in the toes of, of the waters off the coast of Puerto Rico. I love to walk around the cobblestone streets in Germany. I love to smell the pastries, the bakeries of France. Of course, I go crazy when I go over to, uh, to China and Japan and uh, the Far East. Love it. Love it. Stanton, let's, let's take it to where you're talking to your 18-year-old self. What advice are you, at this stage of life, going to give 18-year-old Stanton? Remain steadfast. Education is very important. Experience is important. Build your KSAs. Build your knowledge, your skills, and your abilities. Just because your friend just drove by in a convertible with some very beautiful uh, ladies and then they're headed to a great party, but you've got homework to do, go do your homework. There'll be time for partying later on. Study, learn, practice your religion, whatever it may be, because you've got to have something. You've got to believe in something bigger than you are. Stay dedicated. Stay diligent and vigilant. Remember what mom and dad said to you. Remember. Some of that old wisdom is so true, and and it it works today. Couldn't agree more, Stanton. And I think that's great advice, not only for the 18-year-old version of yourself, but for um, just about anyone out in our listening audience as well. And so, Stanton, I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed the time that we've spent together, but we've come to our last question, and that is, what one person are you following that's innovative? Elon Musk is one. I'm also following, um, oh gosh, his last name is Sinek or Sinek. I'm listening to him. Simon Sinek, yes. Yeah, Simon. I listen to him. Great. He's just great as far as motivation, inspiration. It really is. And I don't mean to all of a sudden get real Bible-toting on you. Go back to your religious roots and your beliefs with that. Read that again. Read that again and stick with it. It's not necessary to be the shiniest, the brightest, the richest, and whatever if you've lost your soul. You've got to keep that in mind as well. So stay strong. Well, Stanton, I really don't want this to end. Uh, I mean, it's been so rich and not just from a cyber standpoint, but just all the facets and all of the different areas that we've touched on. Thank you so much, sincerely. And I'll ask, how can people best get in contact with you? If you're anywhere near linkedin.com, jump on. If you ask me to join your network or, or join our networks together, I certainly will. If you get an opportunity to check me out via uh, email, I'm on Gmail. That's g8infosec at gmail.com. That's G, the number eight, info, I-N-F-O-S-E-C. That's g8infosec at gmail.com. Keep your ear to the track as far as some of the courses that I'm teaching to the public and some of the conferences that you'll be going to. I'll be speaking. I've, I've semi-retired. I kind of failed at the whole retirement thing. So I do, I do stay with uh, cybersecurity and uh, go to the conferences and write papers and speak quite a bit. So I'm, I'm staying busy. Awesome. And of course, we'll be sure to put Stanton's contact information in the show notes. And so as we have thanked Stanton, we also want to thank you, Tech and Main Presents listening audience. And be sure to tune in next time when we'll have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to check back regularly for the next episode and tell your friends. Thank you.